for this last talk, I titled it Mater Misericordiae, uh, which means Mother of Mercy, Finding Mercy Through Mary. And some of you already heard the story about my father, so I'll just give the Reader's Digest version uh, and only highlight the parts that are relevant to what I want to say about the Blessed Mother in, in the life of my family, which has been, not, quite frankly, nothing short of miraculous. I mentioned yesterday my father loved, we're from Barbados, and my father was a professional singer, and he loved three things, womenizing alcohol and cigarettes. He had 15 other children with other women besides the four of us with my mother. He uh, was not baptized. He was a pagan. Never went to church. The only time I e- I've never seen my father in church growing up at all. The only time he ever used God's name was in vain. Uh, he also drank. And uh, the alcohol, which is quite frankly why me or my siblings don't drink to this day. Uh, we saw the devastating effects that alcohol can have in a family. And it's not that I'm afraid to drink or anything like that. It's just that I choose not to uh, because of what we saw growing up. Um, embarrassing, insane, hurtful uh, things that happen, uh, abuses and things because of that. Um, my mother, as far as I'm concerned, is a saint. To deal with that for that many years, uh, I quite frankly don't know how she stayed married to him for as long as she did. Uh, my parents are divorced. There's a surprise. Uh, so I am a child of divorce. And uh, if you are divorced, I, I, have, I don't mean to, to demonize you or stigmatize you, but I do get asked by when I speak to youth about what is it like to be a child of divorce because young people are very perceptive. They can see that something is wrong between their mom and dad. And they ask me, because they think, oh, it's coming for me too. What is it like? And I tell them the truth. Marriage is a beautiful thing, but it's also the cross. And divorce is when the parents put the cross down and the kids pick it up. And that is not a place you ever want your family to be in. When I graduated from Notre Dame, I worked for a year at the university in the police department, and then I joined the monastery as a Benedictine. When I was accepted into the monastery, my mom was thrilled. Oh, my son, the monk, the priest, he was so happy. My father, not so much. Uh, out of respect, I went to his apartment to tell him what I thought I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And all I was doing was asking him to support me just once. Okay, you didn't come to any of my wrestling matches senior year because you were too busy sleeping with those other women. Okay, you didn't come to my high school graduation because you were drunk. Fine. Just this one time, I'm asking you to support me. And what he said to me was, you're going to do what? You are the first person in our family ever to go to college. You go to Notre Dame. He also to always tell his friends, my son goes to Notre Dame, one of the best schools in the United States. You get an economics and business degree. Now you're going to spend your life living with a bunch of men? What's wrong with you? What am I supposed to tell my friends? I told him what he could tell his friends. 
And then I didn't speak to him for 18 years. As far as I was concerned, on that day, he was dead. I hated my father. Hated him. Now, I don't say that lightly. When I tell you I detested him, it is true. In fact, when my kids started growing up, Claire, for example, she was in kindergarten. They had grandparents' day. And she went to my wife and said, Mommy, where's my grandfather? And my wife had to tell Claire that her father had died when she was 18, which is true. I never met my wife's father because he died when she was 18, long before I met her, of cancer. Then Claire turns to me and says, where's, where's your daddy? I said, he's dead. That's how much I hated him. So this is the Reader's Digest version. Uh, time goes by. Now, before I, I, I left the monastery because my mother got really sick, almost died. I'm the oldest, so I had to leave the monastery to take care of my mother and my sister, who was still in high school at the time. Uh, I went to a wedding of some college friends of mine and met Colleen at the wedding, and I didn't go back to the monastery, so, <laughs> uh, okay. And, uh, but when I was leaving to move out west, and once my mother had convalesced and, and I was getting ready to start my new life out in the west coast, uh, I was dr- getting ready to drive on Route 80 from Jersey out, out, uh, out west here, to, actually California. My wife was in graduate school at the time. And uh, my mom said to me, son, before you leave this house, there's only one thing I want you to do. I said, yes, mommy, anything. She said, I want you to pray for your father. I think it was the only time I could ever remember looking my mother in the face and telling her No. And she said to me, I don't think you heard me, son. I said, the only thing I want you to do before you leave this house is to pray for your father. And I, and I think I kind of felt like Jesus did at the wedding feast of Cana. You know, they have no wine. What's this between you and me? And the, the scriptures don't record it, but Mary probably gave Jesus that mama look. Like Jesus said, Okay, you see, guys, see those jars of water, fill them to the brim, take them to the head waiter, you know. And so I'm like, okay, mommy, okay, I, I'll pray for Pop. And literally what I did was I would do my prayers, I would just tag my father's name at the end. I didn't mean it, I didn't want to, I only did it because I promised my mother I would. But as the years go, went by, I, I said, let me try because I know one day I'm going to die, and we're going to go through the commandments with Jesus, we're going to get the number four, and I'm going to go, hmm, okay. So, invitation to our wedding, no response. Birth announcements for each of the kids, no response. My sister's wedding, no response. I had to walk her down the aisle as her oldest brother. Even ordination, even though my father never went to church, I sent him an invitation to our ordination to the diaconate, no response. Christmas, birth, no response, nothing. I, I, you know what? I try. <laughs> I try. So at least I could tell Jesus that. So uh, I'm not going to tell the story about how I got EWTN, but uh, when my first series started airing on EWTN was Behold the Man, a Catholic Vision of Male Spirituality. And uh, like I said, I'm from Barbados. It started airing internationally. Someone from Barbados calls my father and says, ain't that your son on TV? My son. So he flips the channel and sure enough, there I am 
on the big screen talking about what does it mean to be an authentically Catholic man. So my father, who had not seen me, this was 17 years now. It would take another year before my father would call me. But he sees me on there, and he's intrigued. So he wants to watch again the next week. He got the, the time right, but the day wrong. So instead of watching me, he's watching an old nun with a Bible on her lap. So when he turns, he, he told me this story later. He said he turned the channel because he thought I was on, and he saw this nun on with the Bible. He goes, who's she? So he's watching because he thinks he, she must be finishing up, and my son's going to come on next. So he's watching, and he's like, what is she saying? You know how mother gave it to you straight. You remember Mother Angelica. She gave, so he said, I never heard no nun talk like that before. And he just... She just sucked him in. He, could, he said he couldn't put the remote down. He was listening to her, and he was like, she makes sense. You know, and, and for a year, he started watching the WTN. A man who's not baptized, who never went to church in his life, is now watching the WTN. So it took another year before he called me out of the blue. Uh, that was an interesting conversation. I thought he was lying about... Jesus, I'm like, come on, give me a break. You spent your whole life lying to us, and all of a sudden I'm supposed to believe after 18 years that all of a sudden you believe in Jesus now? Get out of my face. That was my reaction. So I, uh, through another set of circumstances, I was able to go back to New Jersey. And uh, whenever I go, well, we, no one lives in New Jersey now, but when I was back, when I would go back home, I'd always stay with my brother in his apartment, and he arranged for me to see my father. So my father walks in. I've not seen him in 18 years. And he, I'm shocked at his appearance. My father was a, a big guy like me. But he lost more than half, his, half of his body weight because he had prostate cancer. So he walks in and I look at him. I'm like, I'm shocked. I'm like, that guy looks like my dad. And he goes, hello, son. It's good to see you. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just like processing what I'm seeing here. And uh, so I'm waiting to hear, I'm sorry, son. I'm waiting to hear, I'm sorry for the hell that I put you and your mother and your siblings through. I'm sorry for those embarrassing moments. I'm sorry for hitting on your girlfriend. I'm sorry for all those things that I, and I'm waiting to hear this litany of forgiveness. And instead, all he wants to talk about is the person that he is today. And the Lord taught me a huge lesson that night. The Lord said, look, you know what happened back then, and he knows what happened back then. There's nothing either one of you can do to change it. Deal with the person I have in front of you now. And so my father says, I'm still writing songs, son. You want to hear? I'm like, yeah, pop. Whatever. So he puts on a, the music track and he starts to sing. And here are some of the lyrics. Oh, Lord, sweet Jesus, have mercy on me. My eyes were wide open, yet I failed to see. Dear Lord, I beg you, have mercy. Please have mercy on me. I am so sorry. Lord, forgive me. Please show me the way. 
I can't go on living this life without you. Sweet Jesus, please tell me what to do. Lord, I'm depending on you. I want to live a life that's honest and true. I will let nothing stand in my way. Dear Lord, I beg you, have mercy. So as he's singing this song, I'm saying to myself, you can't fake that. So when he finished singing, I don't know what possessed me to do this. I literally walked up into his face and I said, I'm going to ask you a question right now. If you ever loved me even once as your son, don't lie to me. If you're going to lie, then say nothing. What happened to you? All this talk about Jesus and mercy. Had I not been standing in that man's face to hear what came out of his mouth next, I would never have believed it. This pagan, womanizing drunk who literally destroyed our family looked me in the face with all seriousness and said, the blessed mother and divine mercy. I literally could not speak. I, I was stunned. I was shocked. I could not form words in my mouth. My brother still mocks me to this day. Man, I remember when you, you saw Pop and, and he said that Mary and Mercy stuff, the look on your face. <laughs> I couldn't believe what I just heard. So I go home back to Oregon. My mom is living with us now. Uh, when she got sick and forced me to leave the monastery to take care of her, her health had started a steady decline over the next 20 years to the point where she could not live by herself. So we moved her out with us in Oregon. She lived with me the last three years of her life. She said to me when I got home, son, is it real? Is it real, son? I said, mommy, you can't fake what I saw. So now a little less than a year goes by, and I'm talking to my father about once a month or so. <laughs> and he calls out of the blue, Memorial, I'll never forget Memorial Day weekend. He calls, hey, Pop, what's going on? I want to see my grandchildren. I want to come to Oregon. Okay, when are you going to come? I, uh, June, I can come this week. I said, Pop, that's not a good week for me. I got things to do that week. He goes, that's the only weekend I'm going to come, so I'm going to come. I said, okay, great. Hung up the phone, and then I realized I've got a problem. I told the kids he was dead. <laughs> so I did what any intelligent man in my situation would do. I went to my wife and said, how do I get out of this? <laughs> and without missing a beat, my wife just said, just nonchalant, just said, well, Jesus did raise the dead, didn't he? So the kids were still, you know, fairly, I think Claire was like 10 or something or 11. I mean, so I went, kids, come here, guess what? A miracle! <laughs> they get it now, right? But when they're little, right? So they, the kids were so excited. They took their school pictures and blew them up really big and made posters and put in the entryway of our house. Welcome to Oregon, Grandpa Pop. You know, and so I picked my father up at PDX and I drive him home and it felt like a Twilight Zone episode. You know, like these two universes are colliding in my liver. He's never met my wife. <laughs> so he's, I'm like, uh, hon, this is my dad and this is my wife and these are your grand. I mean, it was just like, 
two worlds, boom, boom, boom. And so we had a wonderful evening. Um, the kids getting to know their grandfather. But the next, that was a Thursday. The next day I had to fly to Sacramento to speak at a Catholic business professional's luncheon. So I have to leave my dad with my wife, who he just met less than 24 hours ago. So I'm nervous. So I, I said, hon, I, I said, she goes, we'll be fine, we'll be fine. So I fly down to San Francisco, I speak at the luncheon, I come back in the evening. Everything go okay, hon? I'm like worried. Everything, oh, everything was fine. We took him to Multnomah Falls, and we took him. He was saying how clean and how beautiful everything is out here, and he started giving the kids $100 bills. I'm like, whoa, what, what? Well, that was his attempt to make up for all the Christmases, all the birthdays, all the things that he missed over the years. Now, that was a Friday. The next day was Saturday. There was a men's conference in Portland. I wasn't speaking, but I wanted to go to support the guys. So I said, Pop, I'm supposed to go to this Catholic men's conference. Do you want to come? He said, sure, let's go. He's never been to anything Catholic in his life. So he comes and he sees 300 men praising the Lord and stuff. And he's like, oh, this is good. So, and God's divine providence. Guess who one of the speakers was? Father Donald Calloway. Oh, yeah. So Father Calloway starts telling the story of his life. He starts telling him how he was a juvenile delinquent, how he was kicked out of the country of Japan, put on a, 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 Jap, a, a, military, a plane by Japanese military police, and told never to come back to this country again. Because by the time he was 15 years old, he was uh, drug running, money laundering, Japanese gangs, prostitution, you name it, he did it. My father's looking at him, and he leans over the table. He goes to me, that guy's a priest? <laughs> yeah, Pop. He's worse than me. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what to tell you, Pop, you know. But then he gets to the part of the story where everything changed for Father Calloway. It was an encounter with Mary. So my father grabs my arm. He's shaking my arm. Mary, son. Mary. He, I said, I know, Pop. I know Father Calloway. He goes, I got to meet him. I'm like, okay, Pop, right? So after Father Calloway finishes, I introduce him to my because I know Father Calloway. So I introduce him to my dad. And Father Calloway's supposed to be signing books. There's a long line of people waiting. And he's off in the corner talking with my dad about Mary. I'm like, What? So after the conference, I, I, my mother, who was staying with us, remember, but during about 10 days before my father came, she had a bout of congestive heart failure. So she was staying in a convalescent home about a mile away from our house because she needed more care than we could give her at home. So my father was actually staying in her room in our house. So um, we're driving back from the conference, and we're, we're going to go to dinner that night, but I want to go see my mother before visiting hours are over. So I said, Pop, let me drop you home. I'll go see mommy, and then, you know, we'll go to dinner. He goes, no, let's go see your mother. <laughs> okay. So I don't have time to warn my mom because we're literally driving by the place. So I pull, I said, Pop, let me go in first. So I go in, I walk around the bed, I sit down on the edge of the bed, I lean over, kiss my mom. My mom's name was Eleanor. And I kiss my mom, she goes, hey, son. I said, Mommy. And in walks my father. The look on my mother's face when he, I mean, she had a look of shock, 
of surprise, of anger, of joy, of like everything wrapped up in one. So I get up from the bed. My father walks around. He sat down where I was sitting. He took his hand, and he, he had big hands. He grabbed both of my mother's hands in his one hand. He said, hello, Eleanor. And they start talking, and I leave the room. So I close the door, and I'm thinking, this ain't going to take long. <laughs> you know, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, they're still in there. Now I'm getting worried. Because this is the first time I can remember my parents being in a room alone without yelling or something being thrown. Half an hour later, my father comes out. Okay, son, let's go. Okay, so I go in and kiss my mom. She goes, who was that? <laughs> I, said, I said, I know. I'm getting used to this thing, too. My mother never told me what they talked about that night. But two months after my father left, uh, I came home from work, and I went. I typically would come home from work, go see my mom, say hi to the family, and we all have dinner together, including with my mom with us. So I went and said, hey, mom. She goes, sit down. I want to talk to you. Uh-oh. So I sat down. I said, mommy, I said, everything okay? She goes, remember when you left to move out here, what I asked you to do? Yeah, and I told you no. She said, starting on that day, I started praying a rosary every day for your father with the sole intention of rectifying our relationship before I die. And that's what happened in the hospital room that night. I said, whoa, 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 hold on. Wait, mommy, stop. You tell me, I mean, the day that I drove out here, you started praying a rosary a day for pop? That you would reconcile before you die? Yes. Mommy, what happened after year 10? After year 15? I mean, you prayed a rosary every day? Yes. And you didn't stop? No. And I'm thinking, the faith. I don't have faith like that. A rosary every day. And God answered her prayer. A month later, my mom was dead. And God answered her prayer before she died. The next day after my father visited my mom in the hospital was Father's Day. The first time I've ever seen my father in church was at Immaculate Heart Catholic Church, 2926 North Williams Boulevard in Portland. June 2009 on Father's Day was the first time I ever saw my father in church in my life. He sat in the front row. I got up and read the gospel, because I preach in my parish on Father's Day. I got up, read the gospel, had my homily ready, and I just tore it up in the ambo. And I looked at my father and I said, this is the first time I'm ever seeing my father in church. People were like, ooh, that's an, inter that's an interesting way to start, you know. And uh, I just started talking about my dad and, and what had happened. We were in Jersey, and people were crying, and people were, I mean, it was amazing, incredible experience. Uh, and so the next day was Monday, and I was taking my father to the airport. 
Uh, and I knocked on the door because he never liked alarms. I don't know why he has a phobia against alarm clocks. So I knocked on the door to make sure he was awake. And I peeped in to my mother's room. And I saw him kneeling down praying. And I've never seen my father pray before in my life. So I'm thinking to myself, wow. This, you know, so so he, he leaves. He goes back to Jersey. My mom dies. Uh, now this is the only parent I have left. So fast forward now uh, to 2012. And before I kind of finish this story, because now the story uh, has come to an end, uh, I just want to say a few things about the Blessed Mother and Divine Mercy. You know, St. Faustina when she had the vision of the beautiful Divine Mercy image, which we all love. She said, in the evening when I was in my cell, I be, you know, a cell is what they call a room for when you're in a monastery, they call it a cell. It's not that she was in prison, like, okay? Like, my room was called a cell when I was a monk, right? So in the evening when I was in my cell, I became aware of the Lord Jesus clothed in a white garment. One hand was raised in blessing, the other was touching the garment at his breast. From the opening of the garment at his breast, there came forth two large rays, one red and the other pale. In silence, I gazed intently at the Lord. My soul was overwhelmed with fear, but also with great joy. And after a while, Jesus said to me, paint an image according to the pattern you see with the inscription, Jesus, I trust in you. Now, it's probably true to say that most of us have been hurt in some way by the people that we love. We've been hurt deeply, and we've been hurt seriously, to the point where to this day, you may still not be speaking to someone. Maybe it's your own child who's away from the church. And despite your best efforts, they're still hardened against the teachings and the mass of the Catholic faith. Maybe it's the person, your ex-husband, who beat the hell out of you when you were in a relationship with him because he was drunk all the time. Know what that's like. Maybe it's the person who swindled you out of money. Maybe it's the person who took your job, climbed, up, climbed on your back to take the position that you should have had at your job. And you're still feeling the anger and you're still feeling the resentment to this very day. And I'm here to tell you that all too often we, we remain bound and oppressed by the negative emotions and feelings of the past. And Jesus wants to give us peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. So you will never find the peace. You will never find the healing unless we open ourselves to receive those rays of divine mercy that are flowing from the very heart of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to tell you how you can do that. First of all, you cannot hide in the past. In other words, you have to admit that you have been hurt. And when you do that, it's going to probably bring up some ugly memories. Yes, it will. But you need to remember, you cannot suppress, 
and hide those things in the past because it will come back to bite you. I'll give you, I'll give you a real-life example. I was at the parish one day. I finished. Uh, we, I think we were preparing for Easter or something like that, the Easter liturgies. All that. So I'm leaving to go home, and I'm halfway home, and I get a call. Deacon, come back. There's a guy who just called the parish looking for you. Uh, he sounded com- completely frantic. He said he had to talk to you right now. I said, I don't know who this guy Okay. So I turn the car around and go back to Immaculate Heart. I go into the parlor, and when I get there, he's already there. This guy's crying, and he's hysterical. Deacon, she, she threw me out of the house. She, she changed the lock. She's getting a restraining order. I said, whoa, whoa, dude, dude, dude. Slow down. Wait, start, sit, sit, t- talk, start from the beginning. Tell me what's going on. He tells me he's been married to his wife for about 12 years or so. They have two kids, a boy and a girl. Uh, she is a high-powered attorney. So he stays home with the kids because she makes enough money to keep things going. And uh, they've known each other for a long time before they were married. Uh, and every time you know, she comes home, he has the same routine. He has the kids playing with the kids. He has dinner, working on the stove, and he's playing with the kids. And she comes home every day, and, you know, everything's fine. Everything's going great until this particular night. Just like always, she comes home. He's on the floor playing with the kids Except she looks at him and says, what are you doing to her? Why are you touching her like that? And he says, what, what are you talking about? I'm, I'm just playing with the kids like I always do. Why are you touching her like that? Get out of here. Get out. So she throws him out, throws some of his stuff outside. Changes, and he's like, what is going on? So he's freaked out. So he comes to see me. And I have a sense of what's going on. For a little bit from the law enforcement stuff, but just I have a sense of what's going on. So when he finished, I said, was your wife ever molested as a child? He said, Deacon, why would you say that? Why would you even ask that question? I've known my wife for years. That's nothing like that's ever come up in our relationship. I said, okay, call her parents right now and put it on speakerphone. So he calls the parents, puts it on speakerphone. Hello? Mom? Dad? And the, the, father, and the father by this time is, knows what's going on. And he says, uh, I, I'm here with the deacon and I, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. And I, I just have to ask you something. I'm not going to tell you her name. Was so-and-so ever molested? Dead silence on the other end of the phone. In fact, it was so quiet, he thought they hung up. He kept, Mom? Dad? Hello? You, hello? And finally, the father, yes, she was. He's like, what? How come no one ever said, she never said that? Well, we, when it, we found out it was a neighbor, uh, babysitter, brother of a babysitter was coming over. And this was happening. Once we found out about it, we got a therapy. And we just thought, you know, it was a family secret. We'll ne- we just won't bring it up. She's a therapy and everything. So what happened was she came home that night, and my guess was that everything was fine until that night. For some reason, she came home, and she saw the way he was playing with the daughter, and she probably was about the age when she was first molested. And so something clicked in her mind, a memory came back, and all of a sudden, she transferred her memory onto her husband. And now he's the molester. 
And this guy's life is ruined, devastated. Because you know what happened. I mean, she got custody of the Because cases like that, they always side with her, and, and they didn't believe anything he said. Kids weren't old enough to even interview them to find out whether it was true or not. So he decided he lost his custody of his kids. He, and, just, and the parents are actually with him. He's, he, they're trying, but... So don't ever suppress something in the past. It will never bring you the peace or the healing that you seek. Number two, you got to realize that you won't heal until you face that Goliath in your life. What is the Goliath? Like David and Goliath, huh? What is the Goliath that has you so scared that you can't face whatever it is in your past? When Goliath came out, the armies of Israel, as it says in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 12, they were, they were greatly afraid except for David. Everyone else was afraid to face the Goliath except for David. And what you have to learn from that, your Goliath, whatever the Goliath is in your life right now, that your past helps shape you into the person that you are today, but your past does not determine your future. The past shapes you into the person you are today, but your past does not determine your future. And what did David fight Goliath with? If you remember the description of Goliath, he was six cubits in a span. A cubit is 18 inches, a span is nine inches. So do the math. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, wearing a coat of mail that weighed 5,000 shekels. A shekel is 0.25 ounces, a quarter of an ounce. 78 pounds of armor, a huge spear, helmet. This was a huge, intimidating guy, and everybody was afraid. And how does David come at, what, what does the scriptures tell us? How did he come at Goliath? Not dressed in armor, not dressed with a coat of mail. He took a sling from his shepherd's bag or wallet, and he went to the brook, and he found five smooth stones, right? He reached into his shepherd's bag or wallet, and pulled out the cord at five smooth stones. A sling and five smooth stones. Now, if you understand biblical typology, right, I would say that he fought Goliath with a type of rosary. The five smooth stones representing the five wounds of Christ, or each of the five mysteries of the joyful, sorrowful, luminous, and glorious mysteries. See, David understood that when you are facing Goliath, you cannot fight with the weapons of man. You must fight with the weapons of God. That's the only way you will defeat the Goliath in your life. The weapons of God, like my mother did. Praying all those rosaries for all those years. All the guys that want to fight pornography. Maybe that's your Goliath. This is how you defeat it. Like me. Look, I don't have a problem with porn. Thanks be to God. But I'm a man. I think women are the most beautiful creatures God has ever created. There's no question about that. So I could be tempted. I ain't stupid. But here's what I do. Before I turn that computer on. Well, first of all, before I even look at the computer, I have holy cards around my computer. Taped. If I showed you a picture, I might do that and put it on my Facebook page. 
I have pictures of my family, my girls, my son, my wife. And then I have Divine Mercy, Sacred Heart of Jesus, Immaculate Heart of Mary all around my computer. I have a desktop crucifix and I have a picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Like a little, one of those little picture things that you stand on a little stand. Picture of Blessed And before I turn the computer on, our Father, three Hail Marys, glory be to the Father, before I turn the computer on. Then when I turn the computer off, I feel like watching something while I'm working. I either watch EWTN, live streaming online, and I don't watch myself, but I watch the other stuff that's on there. <laughs> or I go to Savior.org, Savior.org, 24-hour Eucharistic adoration online. I'll just put the, the monstrous up in the corner. It's a live stream, 24 hours a day. And, and In fact, I've been watching it so much, I even got my favorite monstrous on there because they changed the monstrouses out. I'm like, oh, that's not my favorite one today, you know? <laughs> seriously, seriously. This is what I, I'm, t- I'm sure, this is what I do. And so if I'm working on something, I, if I want to watch something, I'm watching Jesus. Come on now. That's the way you fight with the weapons of God. And that's how you begin to defeat the Goliath in your life. That's how you begin to defeat Goliath. The other thing is this. Understand that God loves you more than you will ever know. It's like this. This, Here's what God wants you to do when you fight with the weapons and you want to bring peace into your life and into your family. If you walked into your kitchen and your granddaughter, say she's three or four, was holding a butcher's knife by the blade, in her hand, by the blade, and you walked in and saw that, would you say, oh my goodness, and yank the the blade? Would you do that? Yank the knife out of her hand? No. Why? Because you cut her hand off. What would you do instead? You would say, oh, honey, let me see. What do you, what do you got there? What have you got there? Let me see. Oh, look at that. Can you give that to grandma? Open your hand. Let me see. Open your hand. Oh, thank you, honey. Huh? That's what God the Father wants to do with you. He's looking at you right now, and he's saying, what is that that you have in your hand? Is that when you were raped when you were in college? Is that the husband who verbally and physically abused you? Honey, let me, let me see what you got there. Is that your son or daughter who would rather curse you than practice their Catholic faith? Let me see what you got there. And we get so comfortable holding on to that blade that we will never find the mercy and the healing that God wants to give us. But the father's saying, let me see. Let me see. Open your hand. And our loving father, who gave his son for us, will reach into our hand and take that knife, that knife of the past, the knife of the hurt, the knife of the pain, that Goliath, he will remove that See, now you can have the peace that your heart is longing for. That's what he wants to do. Now, one last thing that you have to do, and this is really, really hard. But this is how you take 
your forgiveness and mercy through the heart of the Blessed Mother from here to here. In 2012, I was on a speaking tour in Italy. My brother calls me and says, hey man, Pop's cancer is back. You need to come home because the doctor's saying he won't make it till Christmas. This was October 2012. So I said, okay, so I changed, I never changed my flight, I had to change airlines to fly back through Newark. So I spent three days with my dad. On the second day, I don't, this is what I felt called to do. My dad was sitting on the couch and I walked over and knelt down in front of my father and I said, Pop, I want to ask you to please forgive me for hating you for 18 years. See, now, the culture would look at that situation and say, why are you asking for forgiveness? You didn't do anything wrong. It was him. He's the one that did all the stuff that destroyed your family. Why are you asking for forgiveness? He should be the one seeking forgiveness from you. That's not the point. What did Jesus say? Not as the world gives peace do I give it to you. What we have to do, we have to be extensions of God's mercy to other people in order to receive the loving mercy from God. I was trying to be a vehicle of mercy to my father. And so I asked him to forgive me for hating him for 18 years. That's hard when you go back to the person who hurt you and say, I'm sorry for anything that I might have done. You go back to that husband who beat you. I'm sorry for anything I might. Now, you didn't, it's not about whether you did anything wrong. That's not the point. The point is opening yourself. And remember I talked about this yesterday. Being vulnerable enough to be that vehicle of God's mercy to this other person. That's hard to do. Because you still feel the feelings. You still feel the emotions. And my father looked at me with tears in his eyes. He said, I, I do forgive you, son. And the next day I was leaving to come back to Oregon. And my brother was loading my bags in the car. And my father was on the edge of the bed. And it was because he thought this is the last time I'm ever going to see my son. So I I knelt down in front of my dad and said, hey, Pop, you want to pray? First time I've ever prayed with my father in my life was October 2012. So I knelt down. We said a prayer. Then I said four words I never ever thought I would ever hear myself say I love you pop my father looked at me now tears were running down his eyes at this point he said I love you too son I always have and I always will then I hugged him and then I left I get back to immaculate heart and I father Nicholas the pastor is asking about how the trip was I said well here's going on my dad and Father Nicholas from Tanzania, African priest, very, very faithful holy priest. He just looked at me, he goes, oh, don't worry, Mary will take care of it. Okay, whatever you say, Father. So what had happened was my father had a mass in his cecum. The cecum is what connects the large and the small intestine together. They found a mass in there that was cancerous. He didn't pass the heart test for the surgery. So they're just going to hit it with chemo, radiation, and then that's it. He won't make it till Christmas. So Father ordered the, um, 
the uh, Marian League in our parish uh, to start praying rosaries for my father. So now December, not December, no, was December twelfth. What day is that? Our Lady of Guadalupe. I'm preparing to go to mass. My brother calls. Hey man, I'm at the hospital with Pop. I'm here with the doctors. We're looking at Pop's x-rays. Oh, oh no. So I'm thinking, funeral, I got to change my thing here. I, okay, I'm trying to think of logistics, how this could work, planning for a funeral. I said, what's going on? He said, that mass in his cecum is gone. I said, I know, it probably shifted lower into his intestine. He goes, no, it's not there. Where is it? I don't know. What did the doctor say? They don't know. What does this mean? I think he's going to make it to Christmas. <laughs> My father lived another four years. He died this past October. So check this out. This is the end of the story. Don't, don't. I'm almost done. Here's the, here's the end of the story. This, and, and if you, see, my father would say things, and I remember this. He, he would say things like, God is real, son. God is real, son. I know, Pop. Son, I wish I knew back then what I know now. Me too, Pop. How could people not believe in God, son? I know, Pop, right? So, also, so on October 4th, I'm literally in the Portland airport on my way to the Catholic Leadership Conference in Denver, Colorado. I'm supposed to be speaking. Scott Hahn's going to be there. All these people are going to be there. I'm, I'm speaking. So I'm literally 15 minutes from boarding the plane. My cell phone rings. It's my brother. He said, hey, man, Pop's dying, and there's no coming back from this one. You need to get here now. Oh, Lord. So literally in the airport, I walk up to the counter. I said, I need to change my flight now to go to Newark. They're like, what? I said, my, I just got to call my father's dying. I need to get home now. So the Delta people took me over to the, a special thing by myself. They said, let's get, they got, they got on it. They got on it. They got me on the plane. I got to Newark at 11.30 p.m. My brother picked me up. We, we drove straight to Beth Israel Hospital, which, by the way, is where my mother worked for 30 years as a nurse. We get to Beth Israel Hospital at midnight. My other siblings had already arrived in Jersey. I was the last one because I'm coming from the furthest away. I get there, and of course, I'm still on, on my adrenaline's pumping for one, and I'm still on West Coast time. So I said, hey, guys, I'm going to do an all-night vigil for Pop. So my siblings were exhausted. So they left, and I was there the all-night. The, the, my father was on the machines. Uh, they were doing 80% of the breathing for him. The only way his blood pressure was still up was because of the medicine they were giving him through the IVs. And every time his medicine, uh, his, his uh, blood pressure would fall, they'd turn up the thing. But they turned it up enough that if they gave him any more, it'd start damaging internal organs. He was not producing any more blood because his, I mean, they gave him fluids and his urine bag was completely empty. So, I, I mean, it wasn't looking good. So I did this all-night prayer vigil for my dad. Six o'clock in the morning, my siblings come back. We wait for the doctor and the social worker. They explain to us the whole thing. And we make the decision to remove the life support. I mean, there's just nothing else that could be done. So at 12.55, now this is the next day, right, October 5th. 
12.55, we took out the last thing, and I started praying chaplets of divine mercy. I prayed one chaplet, and then my siblings would be praying, and then I prayed a, 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 at 1 o'clock, I prayed the first chaplet. At 2 o'clock, I prayed the second chaplet. At 3 o'clock, when I was about to pray the third chaplet, my father died. Now, anybody know what October 5th is? St. Faustina! What? What? He died on the feast of St. Faustina at exactly 3 o'clock. The hour of mercy. Are you kidding me? And I, I'm telling you, ask my siblings. I said, my only, when, he, when he died, he took his last breath. And my sister started crying and my brother started crying. And I'm like, he made it till 3. He made it till 3. He ma-, I, said, I kept saying, he made it. And they look at me like, what's so great about 3 o'clock? I'm like, and then we, and I just started crying. I'm like, he made it till 3. And I, because I knew he was going to make it. So I, I was just overcome with emotion. It was, and, and some of you have probably seen the Facebook, because on my Facebook, I post pictures of my dad's funeral and everything. And that's how the story ends, huh? So now, when I pray for my parents every night, as I do, I'm hoping that they can finally be happy <laughs> together in heaven before God. O oh, my strength, it is you to whom I turn. For you, O oh God, are my stronghold, the God who shows me love. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.